my name is John Frick, and I'm, I'm really thrilled to be able to share with uh, the class today. <clears throat> I think Steve uh, intentionally looks ahead at the lesson plan, and he picks the times when there's some really kind of challenging lessons. And then he calls me up and says, hey, John, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be out of town. I think I'm going to be out of town this week. Uh, would you mind uh, doing this lesson? Anyway, we're, I'm happy to do that. But, but in preparation, I happened to read an article uh, this week that I want to share just a couple of things. You know, Steve, um, seminary and pastorate and kind of the whole music ministry thing. And I read an article this week, and it's called Song Leader and altar calls, and it made me think of Steve. No phase of the evangelistic service can be of more importance or weighted with more responsibility than the appeal or altar call for decisions made by the evangelist. The sermon, having been preached in the minds of the listeners, are focused upon the question of the hour. And now the evangelist is appealing to men and women to put into action the spoken word. The Holy Spirit is pleading with hearts to yield, and a battle is being waged in the hearts of convicted souls. It is here that the song leader must be alert and ready to act with an added appeal. And then it goes on, and it gives several suggestions of songs that you may want to use. So several invitational songs may be needed during the course of the altar call. We have found the following combination to be successful. Found in... Gospel and song, just as I am, followed by almost persuaded, and closing with, I surrender all. How many of you heard those songs at some point in your life? Okay. Um, and another group is softly and tenderly, followed by holy thine, and Jesus I come. And still, another set, in case you have altar calls often, um, Nearer, still nearer, followed by Savior, more than life to me, and concluding with, I am coming to the cross. A couple of months ago, Marty mentioned in uh, his sermon about the church that he grew up in, and, and um, I grew up in a very similar church, and very often, that was just kind of the normal process, was to have an altar call, and us kids would kind of, okay, who wants to go forward just so we can, you know, after 15 verses of just as I am, you know, it's time to go. <clears throat> and, um, and I could relate to what Marty was saying, and maybe I see some head shaking, so maybe a few here can relate. It's interesting, this article was written in 1941. And, and yet, I think there's some truth to it. And some things that maybe we, we can, uh, we smile at. But the truth is that there is a purpose for the altar. So we, we look at um, Ezekiel's altar, and, and we're going to talk about this vision. And uh, Steve's been talking about this the last couple of weeks. Uh, just a real brief background. You know, the, the contextual uh, situation is that... Uh, Children of Israel are now taken into captivity. They're in Babylon, and the temple has been destroyed. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, that's where we get the stories of Daniel, Meshach, Abednego, those guys. This is all in that same time frame. And this is when Ezekiel has this vision. And so if you would open your Bibles, Ezekiel chapter 43, 
verses 13 through 17, we're going we're gonna to get a, a snapshot picture of Ezekiel's vision here. Bob, would you be willing to read that for us this morning? Okay, now, as Bob was reading that, in case you didn't quite get that vision in your head with all those measurements, uh, let me help you. A cubit is about 18 inches. Okay, does that help? Uh, Okay, well, if not, you can look at your hand out here, and we have a side view illustration of what the altar, and actually, my recreation, this is the leaning, this is an Italian altar, it's leaning... Uh, maybe there was an earthquake while I was drawing this or something. Um, but here, here we have the altar that Ezekiel was describing. And on your paper there, we're going to identify the different pieces because it was kind of hard for me to envision what this was all about. So we'll start with the top and work our way down. So at the top of the altar, any idea what this, this right here might be? The horn. That's right. And there's a, a, a specific purpose, and this is not a musical instrument. It's just a, an architectural design. So it looks like a horn, you know, a ram's horn or a steer. That's the idea. Okay, next, this section right here. Any idea what we would call that? Any guess? This, I'm sorry, right, yeah, the upper here. The hearth, this is the altar hearth. Okay, let's do an easy one. What's this over here facing east? The steps. Let's see, I'm not sure it's facing east. Is it it pretty close? So, okay. Um, Then we have the... Oh, another easy. Any idea what these items are called? The rims. That's right. These are the rims. Okay, and then we have the upper hearth, and then, uh, I'm sorry, the upper ledge. And then the lower ledge. And actually, I got one extra in there. I drew too many. And then we have the gutter. 
Okay, now it's interesting that very, very detailed in this vision. Let's go back a, st a step here. What is the purpose of an altar? A sacrifice. Okay. It, it, and, and where is the sacrifice made? On, on the top of the altar. So the steps are to ascend the altar. Who would make the sacrifice? The priest would make the sacrifice up here. Okay, what is the purpose of the sacrifice? Okay, forgiveness, offering, sins. Um, in a more generic term, um, it was to appease. The, the sacrifice is to... See, Israel's not the only one that had altars. Every other culture, especially in the Middle Eastern area, had an altar. And the purpose of the altar is where the sacrifice would be made to appease your God. Could be the sun God. Could be the rain God. Whatever God. So the purpose of the altar was to was to bring in connection between humanity and divinity. Now, of course, we believe that, that there's only one God. You know, Yahweh is the God of gods. But this, this, this image here was not unique to Israel. Every culture in that era had, had the purpose and a function of an altar. So everybody kind of knew what an altar was. And, and what, what it was for. Do anybody recall um, when, what, the first mention of an altar in the Bible? One before that. Noah. So after the flood, if you, if you read in uh, Genesis 9, after the flood, Noah made an altar. So that's the first mention of an altar. And then Abraham made an altar. Jacob made an altar. Moses made an altar. So the altar is, is a pretty important, um, or plays a pretty important role in the life of the uh, Judaism, but in, in all religious life, the altar plays an important part. How does the altar play a part in our life today? Where's the altar in our church? Okay, um, I, I, I go to the venue service. I don't remember seeing an altar in there. Is there an altar in there? A sacrifice has already been done. So does that mean we don't need an altar? No. The altar's in our heart. Okay, depending upon what uh, perhaps um, your back, religious background and how you grew up, the definition of the altar or what the altar looks like today is going to be a little bit different. In the more traditional mainstream mainline churches, the altar is, is that piece of furniture that's the table that typically is in the front of the church. It may set up on the platform. 
and it, uh, particularly in the Catholic Church, it's very important that that's where the communion elements are, are upon that altar or that table that is set up front. Okay, now just a little side note here. If you grew up in a Catholic church, um, or, or you may have studied any church history, there's a term called transubstantiation. Anybody want to guess the definition of that? Anybody heard that word before? You've heard it? Do you know what it means? Absolutely. She gets an A on that quiz. Um, so this idea of transubstantiation says that what we, you know, the juice that we use and then the bread that we use, uh, once the priest blesses it, it mysteriously becomes the actual blood and broken body of Christ. Now, you may wonder why am I bringing that up? Um, the, you know, there's lots of reasons that churches split. Uh, this is one of the reasons that, that the church began to, to split in about the 4th or 5th century. Because the church in the East, which is where we get like the, the Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox Church, etc., had a little different theology than the church in the West, the, the Catholic Church, on this issue of transubstantiation. In fact, there were arguments even within those who believed, um, is, okay, should we use unleavened bread or whole grain bread, you know, regular bread? And you think, now I've heard of churches that split over what color of the carpet you should have, but I've never heard of a church split over whether you have crackers or, you know, rainbow bread uh, or whatever bread. Actually, I understand that the bread we use here, isn't it a special recipe that Kim, maybe that's a secret. Because uh, in Phoenix, uh, my wife and I, uh, the church we went to in Phoenix is where Matt and Robin Anderson were at. And Robin said she got the special recipe from Kim for the bread that we used in communion in Phoenix. Anyway, the church split over whether to use unleavened bread or leavened bread. I think, why? Well, very logical. If you think and believe and teach that the bread became the body of Christ, if you have the unleavened, which is like a cracker, the unleavened bread, kind of like a cracker, you might drop some crumbs on the floor, and the mouse is going to eat these crumbs. And that would be an absolute, you know, unholy thing to happen. So the church split over whether leavened bread or unleavened bread. So theology does sometimes have some very significant impact on how we live out our faith. And, th and th that's just one example. So the altar is a place where sacrifices were offered to the deity or deities. Altars were often made of stone, brick, earth, wood, or metal. 
so we, we have Ezekiel's vision here. Did anybody know, was, was this altar ever built? It's a trick question. The answer is no. If, if when you go, actually we studied it uh, last summer, or maybe it was last spring, when Ezra rebuilt the temple, he got a different blueprint for the altar than what Ezekiel got. So there is no biblical evidence and no historical evidence that this specific altar with these measurements was ever built. I hope you're asking yourself why, because we're going to come back to that in a moment. Okay, so we have this altar. We know the altar has a particular function for Israel, and, and there are churches that have altars today. They look different. Now, in, in the sanctuary, our altar is a kneeling rail, correct? Okay, in the chapel, there's a kneeling rail, plus there's a table up on the platform, right? Well, you guys are all in here, so you don't go into the chapel at this hour. So I, my point is I don't want us to get confused with what necessarily the altar may look like today. It's the concept behind it that I think is important. The altar is this, this place of sacrifice. Now, whether it's a kneeling rail or whether it's a table, I don't want us to lose track of that for a moment. It's a place of sacrifice. It's something that helps us facilitate our relationship with God. Okay, I'm going to jump ahead here, and then we're going to come, then we're going to work our way backwards. Uh, on, uh, on your sheet here, you have this acrostic. I love acrostics. I'm not even sure that's the right term, this acrostic is. But anyway, we got some letters here, and we're going to talk about our great high priest. Would uh, somebody open your, would you open your Bibles to Hebrews 7? Verses 27 through 28. And could I have somebody volunteer to read that for us? Okay, thank you. So, um, who's the Hebrew writer uh, referring to in this passage? To Jesus, right. So, is it, so Jesus, uh, the, the Hebrew writer is saying, is our high priest. Now, what was the role and function of the high priest in the temple? To intercede. Okay, so once a year... The high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies and would intercede on behalf of man. There, there's a, a Jewish holiday that's called Yom Kippur. Anybody, anybody familiar with that, that term and that holiday? Okay, it was actually on October 4th this year. 
Yom Kippur is the holiday that Moses instituted after the Passover. And the idea, you know, the Passover where uh, the angel of death passed over and the lamb was sacrificed and the blood of the lamb was put on the doorpost. Okay, as the sacrificial system began to be implemented, once a year, uh, the high priest would take a goat and for the sins of the whole community would have, actually didn't, didn't slaughter the goat, but, but, but placed his hands upon the goat, poured the, the blood of the lamb on the goat, prayed and transferred the sins of the community onto the goat, and then took the goat out of town. And, and, and the goat would be sent out of the city limits. Okay, and this was the celebration that uh, Jews today refer to as Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, this, this, this opportunity for forgiveness. Okay, so now we have the high priest, which is Jesus, according to the Hebrew writer here, who, who is acting on our behalf to intercede between us and God. And what does this high priest do? He offers the sacrifice, not for himself, but for us. And of course, we know, because we're 2,000 years post-Easter, that the sacrifice was Jesus on the cross, the crucifixion, and, and then a very important part is the resurrection. Okay, so as we think about this, Jesus is our high priest, our, our sacrifice, that blood was an important part of the sacrifice, both in Ezekiel's altar and here in Hebrews, uh, blood was an important part. Uh, Yom Kippur, blood is an important part of the, the act of atonement. Um, there's a certain lineage. Could anybody be the high priest? Could you just decide to go to seminary and say, okay, uh, I want to be the high priest? No, there, there was a certain lineage uh, that you had to be, you had you had to be part of the lucky family club if you were going to be the high priest. And the offering was for the forgiveness of sins. So that's what we see that Jesus did for us. And tying this idea uh, of the Old Testament sacrificial system into the New Testament. Uh, where Christ is the one sacrifice for all. We have Ezekiel's altar. What was Jesus' altar? The cross. Again, the altar is the place where sacrifice is made. So in the New Testament, the altar becomes the, the cross that Jesus died on. So as we think about our high priest, we think about the sacrifice I wonder, if we use this little cross-stick here, what are some of the things that, that, that we can infer through this sacrifice or we understand through this sacrifice? And, and I'll give you, I'm going to take an easy one here. You know, sacrifice. Um, that, that, that what Jesus did and what the Hebrew writer was recognizing here is that Jesus was our sacrifice. Now, now remember, 
we're 2,000 years after the fact. And, and, of course, we all get that. That's why we're setting in here. We understand that. But at the time the book of Hebrews was written, the, he, the book of Hebrews was written for the Jews who were beginning to say, hey, I think there's something about this guy, Jesus. And, and, and so actually the book of Hebrews, and, and I was chatting with Bud a little bit earlier, I personally think the book of Hebrews was probably one of the first um, um, catechisms, one of the first Sunday school quarterlies. Um, it was used to help the Jews understand who Jesus was and to that Jesus was the fulfillment of these prophecies. So the book of Hebrews is really kind of a, a little Sunday school lesson book if you want to look at it that way. And, and so for, for them to understand that Jesus was the sacrifice once and for all, that, that's like revelation. That is like the best thing since sliced bread that, that these, these Jewish seekers of God could hear. What other words may pop up here? And you can use these letters however you want. Forgiveness. You want me to use the F or the O? Pardon? Love? What else? Any other words pop up? Grace, and we use the G or the R. Uh, okay, let's see. Final. What do you mean by final? You don't need any more sacrifices. Jesus was the final. Okay. Great. Any other words? Uh, I heard eternal. God. We've got an end here. Anybody got a word for us? You guys did great. Man, it took me about 20 minutes to, I thought, oh, this will be so long. I better have some cheat notes here. And it took me about 20 minutes to fill this out. This is great. Um, all these things, very, very, very important as we think about what Christ did on the cross. And we think about the altar Ezekiel had this vision of and the altar in the New Testament of the cross. And we think about Jesus as the high priest and also the sacrifice so, before I mark on myself here, let me close that. So, so as we think about this, I want to ask you the question. Where's your altar? And what God is your altar dedicated to? Now, let me ask you about this. I know some people particularly some men, who their altar is their desk. That is where they sacrifice. 
But sometimes their God is greed or power. I know some people, their, their altar is a piano bench. And sometimes their God is fame. I know some, some particularly, I know some women who, who their altar is the kitchen sink. And their God might be family. Now, I'm not saying any of those things are necessarily wrong. But what do we do? I mean, I asked you the question, why do you think this altar never was built? Any speculation? I mean, it could be the blueprint got lost. And so by the time Ezra was building the temple, he had to get a new blueprint. Oh, it could be. I don't necessarily think that's why, but it could be. Some people just don't follow directions. So he had men building the altar. I hadn't thought, I'm going to keep that next time. <laughs> I like that. Okay, I want to suggest to you I think this was a unique vision for Ezekiel. Ezekiel was called to be a priest. Now, God went into very, very specific details of this altar. And for Ezekiel, this was an important vision of what it meant to live a life following God. That sacrifice was a part of the process. See, in our society, our culture, especially here in the West, uh, the North American church, you know, if, if we use the term sacrifice, we, it's usually used in conjunction of uh, the preacher's going to take an offering and he's asking you to sacrificially give your money or... Um, the, the, in fact, my wife just left because she teaches the five-year-olds the next hour. So you have the children's ministry asking you to sacrifice to serve in the children's ministry. And I'm not saying those are necessarily bad. But I, I think the term sacrifice is a whole lot deeper than some minor inconveniences on our part. And, and I know I'm being very judgmental, and I'm not saying that when you put your offering in the offering plate as it passes that it's not a sacrifice. But I know statistically in the United States that, that Christians give 2.3% of their, of their income to, to charitable causes. We tip our waiters, what, 12%, 15%? We don't even give God a decent tip. So I'm not saying you don't sacrifice when you give, but I'm saying statistically, most aren't, aren't sacrificing. And I'm not saying that there's a special number that, oh, at some point it's a sacrifice or not. That's a very, very, just as Ezekiel's altar 
was very individualistic. What your sacrifice and where you sacrifice and what your altar is, I think is very unique as well. And I think there, there are people who, who their desk truly can be their altar. And, and that that's a, a good and proper and perhaps holy thing that that can be as long as that sacrifice is made as God is leading. As long as that sacrifice is made not to exalt oneself, but, but ultimately to, to bring about the flourishing of the community, to bring about the kingdom of God in the community, then I think that's a very valuable altar. And actually, I think you can have several altars. I would encourage you to think about in your home. Um, where's your altar in your home? Now, for me, I have a chair. Now, between about 5 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning, that's my altar. On Sunday afternoons, it's the place I watch uh, football. Good news, OSU didn't lose this weekend, by the way. Uh, so think about where's the altar in your home? Do you have an altar in your home? Do you have an altar at work? Th this idea of an altar and where we bring the sacrifice you know, the problem with a living sac you know what the problem with the living sacrifice is, don't you? The living sacrifice keeps crawling off of the altar. And 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 the New Testament the a writer say that we are a living sacrifice. We are to be the living sacrifice. I would encourage you as you as you think about the altar rails in the sanctuary or or, or in the chapel. Sometimes I think we confuse the, the altar rails with a confessional booth. And I'm not saying you can't confess, but, but because we have that confusion, sometimes we, maybe we don't avail ourselves to, to something that just helps us worship. You know, I know when I was a kid, if you went to the altar... More than once, that means, okay, you really did something bad this week. Uh, so, you know, you had to go make it right with God. You backslid. You said something you shouldn't have. You, whatever. Um, and I'm not saying that you can't confess before God, but the altar is a place that we can rededicate, that we just, we can. Uh, see, I think we need tools we need help um, to 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 come into this relationship with God and, and to process in a way that deepens our relationship. And I think I think that's one of the reasons in the Old Testament they had so many festivals and so many parties was because we have short memories. So God would say, Okay, I need you to do this party. And what this party represented was the time when I took you out of Egypt, we called it Passover, or Yom Kippur, or the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Harvest. 
I mean, when you look at all the festivals and parties that were going on, almost once a month, uh, on average, there was some major festival or activity that God implemented, because I think he, he knew we had short memories. In fact, he told, Joshua told the people of Israel, be careful when you settle into the land, because once you settle in and you build your houses and you get pretty comfortable, the tendency is you're going to start forgetting about God. That's exactly what happened. And I think Joshua's words are just as appropriate for us today. We can get settled in. We can get comfortable. We get into our routines. And sometimes we can forget. And so I think having this altar is simply a way that we can reconnect. It's a tool. It's simply a tool. But I would encourage you to consider that. I'd encourage you to consider where an altar in your home might be or an altar at work, where for maybe for 10 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever, it's converted from a desk to an altar. It's converted from an ottoman to an altar, where we once again engage and say, God, you are God, I am not. Because I know I have the tendency to forget and I have the tendency to think, oh, I can do this on my own. I'm smart. I'm successful. I have resources. I've got it figured out. And I begin going my own way. And, and the altar then becomes meaningless or forgotten. And I need those reminders of my own life. How then shall we live? How then shall we live? Ezekiel had a vision of an altar that gave him hope, that, that encouraged him in a time that was very difficult in the life of Israel. Now, we know they only spent 70 years in Babylon, but at the time of this vision, Ezekiel didn't know that. You know, I, and some of us, might have some some circumstances in our life today that it's like I just cannot see the end of this tunnel. Or if I do, it's a light and it's a train coming right at me. The altar is 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 a reminder that there's hope. The altar is a reminder that we have a high priest who has made this sacrifice once and forever. And when we take communion, we are reminded. We're not only reminded of the sacrifice that was made, but I think a key, key point, and sometimes we forget, we are reminded that God accepted the sacrifice. See, I think that's what the essence of faith is. The faith is not, do I believe that Jesus died? That's a historical fact. Doesn't take any faith to believe that. The faith is, do I believe that God will accept that sacrifice on my behalf? 
Now, if I have the faith to believe that, I have a great future ahead of me. I no longer have to worry about my salvation. I no longer have to worry about how do I appease my God. I no longer have to worry about the future. My faith is that God will accept that sacrifice on my behalf. And if that I believe, my salvation is secure. A little different approach to looking at the altar today. I hope if you have a chance later today, you go back and read that whole chapter 43 of Ezekiel and and read Hebrews uh, chapter 7 and chapter 13. Those two chapters talk about and begin tying these concepts together of Jesus, our high priest, and our sacrifice. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word that is true, but sometimes difficult to interpret in in our modern day as we have different customs, we have uh, different context, uh, we have more historical information, and sometimes it, it's just a challenge to to understand these passages. And I pray that as we think about this today that you might bring further clarity to each and every one of us. You help us understand, Father, this, this role of the altar and, and that that's a place where we sacrifice, where we surrender our all. We come just as we are, our brokenness, our mess, and we leave it on the altar. And Father, I pray that we might deepen our understanding and our faith, knowing that you have accepted Jesus' sacrifice for us once and for all. And because of that, we no longer have to live as we were, but we can live anew. And we ask ourselves this question every day, how then shall we live? And may you, you answer that question for us on a daily basis. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.